All right. Thank you for joining, Carol. Thank you for joining. I'm going to get right into it. I would love for you to, you know, go over your background, um, you know, and how you arrived here, because uh, we're going to take a different perspective, and I think people will uh, appreciate your perspective. Uh, so let's get into it. Your your background uh, and, and and what you actually do. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Ricky. Um, I it's it, my story is a bit of a strange one. I actually started um, my career in fashion design and fashion management. That's what I went to school for, and then I realized that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so I actually got stuck in what I call like the retail loop. So I was working for The Gap and I was there for like a decade and I just kind of like got siloed into being an operations manager for them. Um, I was starting to run a lot of the um, online and in-store experience at a store level. Um, here in Toronto, I was basically working from every single flagship store. Um, and then I realized, you know, a couple years ago, I realized like I had hit this ceiling and that retail was kind of moving from brick and mortar to digital. And if I didn't move with it, I was just going to be stuck in retail forever. So I actually made a really hard decision. I took an, a really big pay cut and went and worked for a small business um, as their operations lead. So I literally became their stock boy. Uh, mm. <laughs> and uh, they were on Shopify, which was kind of cool. And I was doing all their online support and work. And at that time, it was, you know, like going from a business where I was packing 120 orders to 10 orders a day. I had all this like time on my hands. So I just started dabbling with Shopify. I um, started coding. I started going online, taking courses, reading about Liquid, um, and then reading about like merchandising and really taking the skills that I had from merchandising physical stores to digital stores. Um, mm. So yeah, I basically helped this small business redesign their website um, just from learning. And then I finally got a job in corporate working as an e-commerce uh, merchandiser. So um, I was working for a company here that was on Salesforce. And so I learned kind of how to use like bigger corporate uh, e-commerce software. And then I started yeah. working for um, bigger corporations. Um, and I found that I just really didn't like, um, I didn't like the, the politics around e-commerce in big companies. I really yeah. liked design and I really like, um, you know, on-site user experience and optimization. Um, so I kind of actually took a step back from corporate, went and worked for a smaller company again. Um, and then now, you know, after the pandemic started, I had all this free time again. I seem to yeah. always get all this free time. Um, and when I have free time, I just, I, I feel like I, I would be wasting my free time if I went and like played video games or, you know, <laughs> binged on Netflix. So yeah. I, uh, last year in February took the opportunity. Um, I had a friend who was opening a vintage store um, in the height of the pandemic and he needed to go online. And so I said, yeah, I'll just like do this as a pet project. I'll put together a Shopify store for you. And, you know, I'll charge you a couple hundred dollars and like, we'll go from there. Yeah. And that really just like propelled me from thinking that this would just be something for fun and something 
you know, to make a little bit of extra cash to like a full blown business. So now a year later, uh, I am the owner of Kaching Designs. And I guess we've gone from me being solo to me having three assistants. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of crazy. Um, I'm still pinching myself about it because uh, I never thought I could have the entrepreneurial spirit or let alone the voice to be um, a solo entrepreneur. So that's where I am now. Um, gotcha. Now I'm building, building stores for small businesses and I absolutely love it. Uh, so I am a Shopify partner, designer. I also do development and uh, I have a user experience design background. So you, you said something interesting earlier. And I think it would be pretty, pretty helpful to, to kind of dig in there. So you started on the physical part of, of the business. You, 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 you kind of will acclimated with, you know, each side of the business. You were on the physical side, you were helping in business operations. And you said, Hey, I need to make the transition over to, over to digital or might be left behind. What were the, what were some of the things that you had to learn and also that were challenges with making that switch from being on the physical brick and mortar side of the business and coming over to the digital side? What were some of those challenges and things you had to learn? Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting because what I had to learn from switching from brick and mortar to digital, I think a lot of business owners this year also had to learn. Um, so <laughs> I guess I had a little bit of a one up there. So the biggest difference is like, you know, the uh, user interaction. So like when you're in a physical store, you know, you can talk to the person, you can really um, personalize the experience, right, of shopping in the store. Um, customers mm -hmm. can like look, touch, feel um, the product. And so um, from a user perspective, like trying to trying to figure out how to like then go online and and bring that same experience that i was bringing in store and managing in store uh to the online space um was probably a really big challenge because you know when you're in the store if someone wants to exchange something if someone finds a product you know they're a little bit hesitant about it you can actually see it on the person yeah. you can actually like yeah. say oh actually you need to go up a size down a size you know, um, you can ask all those questions and there is no like block between you and the person. But when you're online, yeah. you can't really feel that person's emotions. So sometimes I would misread, you know, a question as um, like someone might ask a question about a product and I would just like be like, oh, yeah, these are the measurements. But I would totally forget. Well, I'm not there to also tell them like these are the measurements, but this is what it would go well with. And yes. you know, this is what it feels like. And this is the material, um, yes. you know, it's kind of like this, or it's kind of like that. So that was the biggest transition for me was like, I really loved human interaction at my job. And suddenly that was gone. Um, but I think it's something that like was really important um, because that's kind of what I help a lot of my clients with is that disconnect so being descriptive being descriptive yeah. and even though you're not physically there you know ensuring that they get the same grasp as if they were there in the store with you that that's actually a very that's that's a very good point it's great because you were on both sides of this and now you're you're helping create that space for other people and 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 helping them kind of tie that together so it, i guess let's say for example you know you're talking to a new uh 
a new business owner, uh, or maybe they're not a new business owner. Maybe they are, they had a brick and mortar business before and, and they now are, they're trying to boost their online presence, uh, you know, and, or it, and really a lot of people might fall into this situation where they might not necessarily have a brick and mortar store, but their online presence and delivery could be stronger. Maybe their only major uh, customer base could be people who know them, right? And they're trying to expand it to people who don't know them uh, and, and kind of increase that customer count. What would you tell those individuals? Yeah, that's a good question. I think most small businesses start with word of mouth and they start with like a very small group of people who know them, like you're saying. Um I think right now the biggest thing we're seeing and the biggest movement is like building community, right? Community mm-hmm. around your product. Um, so, I mean, a really good example of a company that does that really well is like Lululemon, right? Mm-hmm. So Lululemon yep. in in store, you know, you see them like after hours, they've got like their yoga in the mall. They have like running yeah. groups, right? Um, and that's, yes, that's all physical, but like, how do you create a digital community, right? So, um, you know, Shopify just had a talk about this and it's like understanding who your customer is, who, you're, who you want your customer to be, and then figuring out where they are in the world um, without running paid ads or without, without, you know, trying to acquire them through paid advertising. Um, mm, good so point. usually I give the advice of like, figure out where these people are hanging out the most what social platforms are on, um, how do they like to communicate, where do they like to get their information, and that's kind of where you want to be. Um, and you don't have to always necessarily be selling, you can just be there um, to be a part of that community and to build that trust. So, you know, if you're um, in the health and wellness space, then you want to find Facebook groups and community groups that surround mm-hmm. maybe some of the problems that you are trying to solve. Um, I think most of us as business owners are also problem solvers, right? Like we're, we're trying to provide a solution. So it's, it's really important, um, to find your people, um, and not just stay with like that small group that you start off with. That's a, that's a very good point. Cause I think we're also in a space because most of the ads are, have, uh, have gone digital. We, we get bombarded all the time with digital and paid ads. And as a business owner, you're always thinking about how can I get the next sale? How can I acquire the next company or the next customer? And uh, I think the customer base is, you know, kind of got a bit tired of that. So knowing when to sell, knowing when not to sell. I know, it's, you know, uh, it's very often where I see a lot of businesses are doing, their social media presence might be, uh, you know, five to six out of the days they're delivering value or they're, you know, reposting uh, um, their customers' content, user-generated content, and they only maybe sell one day at a time. Because hopefully they've used the six to five to six days to get trust from you, and then hopefully you trust them enough to give them, you know, your money uh, in return for their product that you now trust. Uh, so I think that is uh, that's a strong approach, is it, building a community. What else would you... What else would you tell that person? Well, yeah, you you touched on something. You touched on trust factor. And I think that's one of the things that people don't remember when they're selling online as well. Is like, it's not like there's a brick and mortar store where you're walking in and and there's a real person. 
we've seen this a ton of times, right? We've seen ads for stores and then you go on it and you know it's built on Shopify, but it looks sketchy as hell. And you're like, how yeah. do I know what I'm buying is real, right? Um, and I mean, I do this all the time where I see a site that's too good to be true. I look it up on the uh, on the web and then I find out it's a scam. And so it's like, how do you build trust yeah. factor with your, with your customers as well? And um, I think that's something that is really important is making sure that like a lot of customers will choose to go with you if your values align with theirs, as well as if they can trust mm -hmm. that your product is legitimate. Um, and what does that come down to? It, it means that you also have to reach back out to your community and make sure that people who do love your product are your spokespeople. Those are those are the people you want in your ring um, who are constantly talking about your product. So engagement, like, are you incentivizing engagement? Um, and when you say social, like, are you the only one posting information or are you reaching out and looking for people who point. truly like your product? And we're not just talking about like influencers with like 1.1 million followers. We're talking about like, yeah, we're in this day everyday and age people. where, sorry? Everyday sorry? people. Yeah, everyday people. Like, um, you know, I, I think about when I watch people on online describe to me something that they bought, I I don't want to see, so, like, I feel a disconnect sometimes with, with certain people because I can feel that they don't truly love the product um, or they, mm. you know, and so I think mm. consumers are really smart these days too, right? We see that with ads. People are getting tired of them. <laughs> People are skipping through them. Um, yeah. And we, we see consumers being smart about who they're choosing. And so I think building trust and building that relationship um, and making sure that trust flows throughout your website as well. Um, it's not just like pretty pictures, good pricing. It's pretty pictures, yeah. good pricing, and, you know, user-generated content and reviews. Yeah, so social proofing is definitely um, it's definitely important, you know. Um, I, I've met this tip all the time to people to where if they have people that have purchased maybe 50 times, those are 50 potential stories that can be placed out there, that, you know, as long as you make that connection with them uh, and maybe incentivize them properly if that, if, if need be. Um, yeah, that, that, that social proof is definitely important. And also if you do decide to use the influencers, you don't have to actually, you know, use only the influencers that have 1.1 million followers. I've actually noticed that you're right. The consumer is a bit smarter now. Uh, and the assumption now is that if that influencer is helping you, you know, in this particular space, most likely it's not for free. And that point, you know, you kind of have to uh, assess if they genuinely love this product or not, or, or are they pitching it to you because they're being paid to, um, which I've seen an increase of people diversifying their influencer reach with, um, with, with micro influencers as well. Because if you get, you know, people who are in the zero to 10,000 uh, follower range, and you have quite a few of those, well, now that, that looks a bit more organic, it looks a bit more, you know, trustworthy. You you have to, you're not as, um, you're not as apprehensive in terms of thinking, are they getting paid or not? This could be the genuine response to this product. So that that's actually a good point that the social proofing piece matters a lot. And I think, you know, to add to that, it's also the transparency around your marketing efforts. 
um, you know, it's so funny. There's a co company out there called Seed, and they provide like a symbiotic, prebiotic um, vitamin, I guess, supplement, uh, you can yes. call it. Yes. Um, and they're actually like a poster child of Shopify. And I didn't want to buy into the hype, but I totally did. Um, and what really made me go for them was I realized like for them, they are very much adamant that they don't just let anyone become their influencer. They actually put them through this thing called Seed University and they, they, they actually train and cultivate their influencers to um, align with their brand. So people who don't align with their brand, mm. they don't choose. Um, and they actually are very explicit about that to their audience so they're saying hey if you see this influencer who is showcasing our product they actually had to go through this step-by-step -step process they actually had to learn about our product before they could sell it to you um and so i thought that was pretty cool i ended up buying into it and now i'm on their subscription and it's yeah. kind of pricey but it kind of works and here i am now as a consumer right so the transparency that's important because because in that case, they have many different ways they could spin that. Like, hey, yes, we're using an influencer. However, we're using this influencer to, you know, gain reach and show people, uh, you know, this amazing product or service that I have. And they believe in it as well. That, that, that actually, that's a strong point. Transparent marketing is not, it's not a, uh, it's not a mask. It's very real. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious now. I'm, I'm curious if uh, what would you say one of the largest challenges? Because uh, you, you, at this point, you've worked with many different uh, e-commerce businesses and brands. So if, if I'm listening to this and, I, and I'm trying to gain as many nuggets as I can out of this, what would you say the challenges that that that, that you run into most often uh, that these e-commerce founders uh, that they have? And that they're dealing with yeah i think the biggest challenge that i see a lot and i've started using this as kind of a way to weed out who i do want to work with because now i kind mm -hmm. of have a choice um, is a plan to go to market you know i think a lot of these build your own site and like everyone can do e-commerce sort of mm -hmm. jargon and marketing strategies from like these companies make it seem like build a site and people will come. And yes. the thing is, if you don't have a plan to go to market, you can have the most amazing product. Um, like I've had some customers who have products that I'm like, Oh my God, these are so innovative or no one's doing this, but, their plan to go to market was zero. So even though I built them a beautiful site, they don't get yeah. traffic. Um, and it sucks because then, you know, I'm sitting there going, well, you've blown your budget on getting a good site, but I can't, my realm is not helping you get engagement and, and getting social um, into the mix. So I think it's really important that before people even start, um, even if you're, you know, a small business running out of your basement to a large business that has already had a brick and mortar, um, who may think they already have a plan to go to market, is that you need a structure and a strategy. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, it's absolutely okay to go and hire someone who, who mm -hmm. can help you with that. 
um, because you build this strategy and then the people will kind of come along and then you can have a website and finesse that later. And so I think that's one of yep. the biggest challenges people face. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I've had that happen where like I'll have clients come back and they're like, my site isn't driving sales. And I'm like, but you have no mm. traffic. Yeah. I can't drive traffic yeah. for you. That's not me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I, I, what, what I would add is one of the things I've noticed, and this, you know, this kind of doesn't apply to people who have decided to pay a third party to handle this piece, uh, which is not, you know, that's not the majority. For the, for the most part, these founders and business owners, they're, they're in their business every day, uh, you know, and, and they, they might have built it up themselves and they've been involved in every step of the process and they're not maybe using an agency alongside them. One of the largest issues I've noticed is not learning and utilizing their software tools enough. Um, Cause there's, you know, there's plenty of deals to where there are plenty of tools to where you can like, you know, kind of see what your users are doing, um, see what your visitors look like, uh, actually utilizing the data to tell a story, right? Because your data should tell a story. You know, you have these visitors coming, they come to this particular page, they stay this amount of time. Why are they leaving after they go to this particular page? Why are they after? Your data tells a story. And I feel like that piece isn't done enough, and it should be. Um, I've noticed the truly successful companies, they do a great job at doing that. Uh, their data should tell a story. Um, so I would say that's one of the, the largest issues I've noticed is them not using the tools. I, I mean, I've run across people to where the analytics and report menu item for Shopify hasn't even been touched. It's, it's brand yeah. new. It hasn't <laughs> even been touched. Oh my goodness. Like I, uh, I mean, you and I both probably rave about Microsoft clarity a lot and a it's free and B I think it's a great tool, yes. but I will sit and spend hours watching my own clients, um, user recordings. Um, yep. I will look at the rage clicks and dead clicks and then say, okay, I'm going to watch those recordings. And here's the thing. A lot of these tools, they help you. It's not like you have to sift through like hours of surveillance. Um, you can yeah. really fine tune it. And um, even the other day I installed it for a client and I, I sent him like the invite and he's like, what is this? Uh, I was like, oh, it's the software. <laughs> It's going to show you this yeah. and this and this. He's like, okay, so I don't need to touch it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you do want yeah, to look is, at it. It's active. So it can make, yes. and I tell this to all my clients. I'm like, look, I'm going to install some tools for you. I'm going to show you how to use them, but you need to use them. And you need yeah. to make data-driven decisions once I'm gone because any tool you install, anything you're paying for on your site, your apps, all of those things, like they have to be working for you. And yep. if they're not working for you and you don't do anything about it and you leave it broken, it's like a leak in your house that you just left and you're just going to leave it yeah. and it's going to continue to pool. Um, and so, it's no, like, I totally uh, un agree. Unused gym equipment. Sorry? Unused gym equipment. Yeah, unused gym I, equipment is what I call it. I know. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Like, and you bring up a really good point. Um, analytics is, is one of those things that people say, Oh yeah, I have it installed. And I'm like, have you yeah. looked at it? And they're like, Oh yeah. Once yeah. or twice, you know, cause a lot of their issues are there. 
<laughs> Sorry? There. A lot of the issues are there. A lot of the yeah. issues are there. Yeah. Those reports are great. Mm. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. And I'll say I recommend everyone to use Microsoft Clarity. And it's kind of no excuse. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's it's free. So it's 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 no excuse not to use it. And a lot of the issues that I've noticed usually for the most part can be solved by, you know, doing surveillance for a couple of days. Um, and you made a good point earlier when we spoke about, you know, having a brick and mortar store, you might be in a space where you don't have that anymore. Um, and that's the closest thing that you can get to, to having that experience. Cause at first you used to can watch, you know, your customers and say, okay, you know, you know, can I help you? Or may I help you? Or, uh, you know, or was there something wrong with this product? You can't do that anymore. Right. And this is the closest way that you actually can execute that. Uh, it, it's up to the point to where, you know, you could watch them live if you want. You could have somebody stand up live and, and you know, maybe initiate the chat on that side to get as close as you can to that brick and mortar experience. This, that's the closest thing that you have to being able to see them in the store and say, you know, was there something you didn't like about this jacket? How can I help? Right. Yeah. And I, I think also there's the other element of survey surveillance i keep saying it like we're <laughs> like we're watching people like big brother but um and this is something I, i've done a lot is like i'll get someone like my partner to i'll be like can you find this jacket on this site for me or mm-hmm. what would be your process if you went on this site and i asked you to buy a jacket and pick from all these you know jackets and mm-hmm. it's, it's so interesting because you think one way about your customers and i think that's the other thing is business owners think oh i know my customer i know exactly how they're going to shop yeah. But you'd be surprised how different people shop than what you expect. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick case. Is uh, um, one of one of the stores I work for. Uh, we started doing a lot of content, a lot of blogging that had internal mm-hmm. backlinks, and we never thought that those would actually lead to sales. We just figured like it would point people in directions. But the amount of people who actually land on our page, starting at the blog and moving their way out and then purchasing was surprising. And so if we never watched our data and we never looked at our analytics and, you know, which pages were being hit the most, we would have never known that for that buying journey and experience, that's where they want to start. They want to start with knowledge and then purchase versus mm. looking at a product page and then just selecting a size. Um, and so mm. it, it's all very interesting. Um, and then looking at mobile, of course, as well, especially if, if most of your clients are on or customers are on there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you would have never known that until you looked at the data. That's not something that's not something that you would have, you know, you would have gotten from them right. individually. It brings up another piece too, and which can help. Um, and I've noticed this to be, uh, you know, quite uh, quite an occurring thing. Is a form or a survey to say, "How did you find us?" That's extremely helpful, as well. Um, the "How did you find us?" You know, pathway, especially if they actually use it. Maybe you incentivize them to use it. Uh, myself, I actually I pass right through them, so you got you to incentivize me to actually do it. But for some people, that they'll they'll do it no problem. Uh, and that helps as well. So people who aren't doing that, that would help. Yeah, I think you bring up something like uh, they call it the NPS or Net Net Promoter Score, right? As well as is um, making mm. it easy to collect that data. 
So, you know, making it part of your post-purchase strategy as well is to get feedback from your customers um, and making it easy. And there's mm -hmm. so many tools out there. Like you were saying, if I have to write something, probably not going to. But if someone says, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's like that button that they used to have at Walmart. It's like the happy face and sad face. Right. So yeah. if it's simple as like, where did you find us? And there's just like three options. Um, someone's more likely to just click on it. Um, and I think, yep. you know, you bring up a good point is, is user feedback in that feedback loop. And I'm thinking about, um, oh, also, this is a weird thing to do this for, but we, we, we've done it in quite a few uh, of my advisor calls and even for returns, it's such a weird thing to incentivize somebody that is returning something. It's kind of interesting. But it was the only way for a few of these brands to get feedback on what they were returning. And so in this case, they would set up that same kind of workflow for returns. And over time, they would figure out why were people in, in large droves or, you know, a considerable amount of people were returning something. So they gave up something in the short term, small discount or so for the next time if, if you came back to gain data about, you know, uh, for the people who've done it or why they were returning. And then they would go back and figure out what that issue is and fix or resolve whatever that major return issue. And over time, you know, it was like giving something small up at the beginning so that you can keep the money in the long term and figure out why, you know, and get your return rate essentially down. That's something interesting that we've tried uh, for the past couple of months, and it seems to be pretty successful. It sounds weird, though, because you're really incentivizing people that are returning your item, but it's a it's a short-term loss for a long-term gain. Well, I think it's no different than incentivizing someone to um, share, like, post, right? I mean, yeah, true. it's very similar. Um, and this is, like, all about customer retention, right? It, and I think you bring up a good point. It's like the return on the investment of giving someone, let's say, a 15% coupon for, you know, sorry, the item didn't work out. Here's 15%. Yeah. Try something yeah. new with us. I mean, you just have to make sure that that works with your margins. I think a lot of these companies are just like, they, they don't think about it. It's like, if you give a yeah. dollar amount off, make sure that dollar amount matches or equates to something that, you know, is still going to drive in money for you. Uh, so if it's 15% mm -hmm. off, maybe it's 15% off your next $65 or $75 purchase, because that's the AOV you have to be at in order for that sale to make sense, right? or in order mm -hmm. yep. for you to actually gain some profit. And I think I, I talk about this a lot when people are like, how much should I offer as my like welcome discount? Or how much should I offer as, like you said, return discount or, um, mm -hmm. you know, customer satisfaction discount. You just need to make sure that because you're trying to bring that person back in, it's not making you lose money or breaking even. Yeah. It should continuously right. be making more money for you without the customer knowing. <laughs> yeah. I think yep. that's the okay. most important part. It is. All right. So before we depart, if you had to leave someone with the most ultimate tip that you possibly can, um, what is what would that tip be? Ooh. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we've talked about the most important one, which is looking at your numbers. But I, I think it's important that when you are 
building an online store that um, you understand all the key parts that really need to come into play and that they all are important. Um, not one portion of creating a e-commerce store is more, less important than the others. Mm -hmm. I think um, on-site as well, on-site optimization and organic searchability are two things that people are often like, which one mm -hmm. do I invest in first? And I think they go yeah. hand in hand. And I think people re okay. need to realize it's like, you cannot invest in someone to help you with your SEO without investing in someone to build a good site for you. And these two things mm -hmm. need to to work together. And I can't believe a lot, a lot of my clients are like, oh, I can only focus on one or the other. And I'm like, it kind of has to happen together. Um, but then mm -hmm. once you have your structure down, you really just need to look at your data and that's how you figure out where your efforts need to go. Um, that's where you figure out where your money needs to be and which pool you should be investing in. And once again, if you don't look at your data, you're just going to be throwing money at the wall. Um, so <laughs> I guess that's that's my general, mm -hmm. you know, biggest tip is like, look at the I big think, picture. I think that's a good one. Yeah, that's like look one. at the big picture. Um, it's not just about, you know, one thing or another. And, you know, don't be surprised if you go through many iterations um, of your site. And don't be surprised if the first thing you create does not do do well like sometimes it just takes time uh it's a long game it's a long game overnight success is not a real not not always a real thing hmm. yeah so i think uh yeah i mean that, that's it and you, you made a great point earlier regarding the data because sometimes and we're spending our money on ads this way we're spending on you know, campaigns this way but we have no reason we you know we have no reason why right and even in the example that you gave, that that company now knows that maybe they need to invest more in that particular funnel that's getting them customers, so they can get more customers. So looking at that, looking at that data, and and it telling a story sounds like that's that's really one of the most important keys. It's it's a large one. Uh, I, I'm going to start, you know, asking people now when when I run across them, hey, what did last month's data tell you? Because it should tell you something. And if you don't have an answer, it's something it's something missing. And you bring up a good point, you know, nothing is cookie cutter. Like there is no cookie cutter way to make your business the best business out there. Every industry mm -hmm. is different. Every product is different. And so, you know, like I was saying before, um, for this company, blogging was the way to funnel people to purchase. Might not work the same way for everyone else, and so mm -hmm. unless you actually mm -hmm. see your specific users and the way they behave, you're not going to be able to know. You can't just like go read a book and say, "Oh, well, person A said that this is what I should focus on first. Well, if your customers yes. aren't focusing on that, then who cares? Like, <laughs> some people are like, "Yeah, your customers are on Facebook, run paid ads. That's what's going to happen. If you run paid ads, you're guaranteed." you know, you're guaranteed some traffic. It's like, well, maybe you're guaranteed some traffic, but maybe it's the wrong kind of traffic, right? Yeah. How many times have we heard our clients say, yeah, I got like, you know, a thousand views on my site, but no one bought. And okay. we're like, those thousand views aren't even from countries that you sell to, you know? Yeah. So I think that's really important. All right. So that's, that's what we're going to run with. 
Uh, and for people that are, are going to view this later, you know, uh, no matter where, where, where we post this, I want you to comment and let us know what did last month's data tell you that that's that's what we're going to run with what did last month's data tell you hopefully it will you know promote more people to look at their data and their data should tell them a story and give them actionable and data-driven decisions to make that's that's what we're going to run with yeah i think i think you should do a show where you just have people come in with their data and we we tell a short story about <laughs> what their mm, data is all all talking about one. I think that'd be fun. Be that would cool. be fun. All right. We got yeah. something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. All right, Carol. I won't keep you too much longer. I really appreciate you joining. Um, is there anything that you would like to uh, to tell or, or let everyone know before we depart? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I do d- develop stores in Shopify. And so if you guys are looking um, for some sort of consultation, um, you want to know a little bit more about what I do. Um, I will definitely be <laughs> dropping a link for Ricky to share. Um, so you guys can kind of get to know me a little bit more. Um, I absolutely love helping people get unstuck with Shopify um, and in the e-commerce space. So I'm always open to answering any of your questions. Um, and yeah, like uh, I'm just excited that I get to um, finally hang out with you <laughs> and uh, chat. Um, I think it's it's been great to um, have fellow people in the same space that I can connect with. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right.